haven't had the chance to meet you yet, I'm Josh Carson. I'm the senior pastor at Calvary Tabernacle in Indianapolis. want to make sure that you're aware of an incredible event that's going to be taking place September 8th and 9th of this year. It's called Mid-American Revival Conference. Many of you have been here in the past, but we have some exciting new additions to the conference this year. We have great speakers like Jerry Jones, Matt Tuttle, Jason Staple. We have an incredible young voice, Dylan Morgan. But on top of our great general sessions, we will be adding workshops this year. We're going to have a host of opportunities for you, whether you're a volunteer or whether you're the senior pastor, to come in and be fed and ministered to and hopefully equipped for revival here in North America and in your local city. We believe that every member has a role to play. And so we hope you take the time and join us at Mark, September 8th and 9th. Welcome back to the Indiana Bible College podcast. Thank you for being here. We are delighted that you spend your time when you could be listening to other things to plug into edifying content like what we are about to bring you today. Reverend Joshua B. Carson, our president at IBC, pastor of Calvary Tabernacle, in this episode is giving a special talk to students on an evening during the school year where he sits down over donuts and coffee giving a talk on preaching. So this talk is directed to young people, young ministers, but it's applicable in principles to everyone who wants to be a better preacher. Thank you to the MSA department for sponsoring and putting this session on. The Ministerial Student Association is a program that sends preachers, Sunday school teachers, musicians, worship leaders to local churches to minister. If you want to partner with us giving opportunity to young ministers in these ways, contact MSA. You can do that by just typing into Google Indiana Bible College MSA or going to our website indianabible.college forward slash MSA. Let's get right into this session with Reverend Joshua Carson titled How to Be a Preacher You Must Listen to. the Holy Ghost to help us here tonight. Let's do that. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Honestly, we have nothing without you. We need you. We need your blessing. We need your help. We need your strength. I pray that you would ready my mind, my heart, my mouth to be able to articulate in a way that makes sense tonight what it means to be a preacher of the gospel. Help us, O Lord, that we might hear and that we might receive, that we might all be effective for the kingdom of God. I pray it in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I, uh, is it your homiletics class that you use this, Brother Kilman? I try to find out what books, what texts different people are reading and then are utilizing in their classes. And then I try to use them. There's a great little line in this little book on preaching. If you don't have this on, on preaching, whether you're in that or not, by H.B. Charles, whether you're in that homiletics class or not, on preaching by H.B. Charles, this is like a one-day read for some of you, like a three-month read for others. And, and it's, a, 
It's a great little book. Statement here in the very, very beginning of this book. There are three kinds of preachers, okay? The ones you can listen to, the ones you cannot listen to, and the ones you must listen to. And I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about trying to be one of those preachers you must listen to. For a long time, um, I wanted to be one of those preachers you liked listening to. Now, don't get me wrong, I still would like to be one of those kind of preachers. But it's my goal to try to be one of those preachers you must listen to. What determines the must is textural. What determines and defines the must is whether or not you preach truth. I think the way that he is shaping it here in the text is somewhat based on truth, but also based on the thought that whoever is preaching is compelling. I will tell you that truth should be compelling on its own. But I must also submit to you tonight that for many it is not. Truth has become relative. And you are tasked with the unfortunate reality that in a world that has now been completely immersed in post-modernity, if you're going to be an effective speaker, you are meant to present a new emotional hook every two minutes. Isn't that something? When I consider preachers next to Christ, the great preacher to me would be John. I know that we could wrestle, we could argue Peter, Paul, you know. I, I align myself with Simon Peter when I want to feel better about my own fickleness, my own outbursts. You know, we all build Scripture in different ways. For me to make Scripture effective, I see it through narrative and story. I need those people to come to life. I have this burnt-in image of the revelation of Christ when he says, who do men say that I am? Remember this story? I've got that happening around a campfire. I've got Christ asking, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, in my mind, I've got him chewing on a s'more. He speaks up real loud. Thou art the Christ. I see a little piece of marshmallow flying across and hitting Jesus on the <laughs> cheek. And No, it didn't happen. It's supposition, but it was a way when I was your age, someone told the story and it came alive in my mind. And a story that I probably would not have remembered. I remembered when I found out that they were not characters, they were humans. And when they go from characters to humans, and then I'm able to take that humanity and make that humanity something that I can emulate, or that I can at least accept and begin to try to see if that part of them is real, what else about them is real. So in Peter, I, I sometimes find like, man, I'm having a bad day. This is my Simon Peter day. <laughs> Feel like cutting somebody's ear off. It's one of those type of days. And don't worry, Jesus will clean it up. Yeah. You see that a lot of times in the life of Simon Peter. You see, you know, you see Jesus looking at him. Can't you see him putting Malchus's ear on like, oh my, every time, every, every time. You know, we read the King James, you know, whoever lives with the sword, die. put your sword away. Live with the sword is going to die with the sword. But there's like this, this sigh, like, oh my God. You know, 
Sometimes it's Paul when I'm trying to think about the, the journey and the shape, and the dramatic conversion, the things that God has done. Sometimes when I've had a really bad night and I've really missed the mark, I justify the fact that Paul preached so long that one night that kid fell and died. <laughs> You've been there. Come on. We've... <laughs> if you haven't preached long enough that someone has fallen asleep on the front row while you've been preaching, you haven't preached long. I've been there. I wanted to give somebody the holy backhand one time, just sleeping on the... Just... <laughs> you got a vivid memory of somebody asleep on the front row. I was doing terrible, obviously. I was, I was sweating and yelling and, and preaching. I think I was doing more screaming than substance, but I was giving it what I had. I was just a young guy. I was trying. I put him to sleep, and then I thought, Paul put him to sleep before. There's this thing about John, man, John the Baptist. This is a, this is a crazy guy. What do, what do you think of when I say John the Baptist? What comes to mind? Locust. Locust. Awesome. Okay. Why locust? Munching on locust. Right? Come on. You're, you're in a rough place. I don't care what generation it is. You're in a rough place. Munching on locust. Passionate. That's exactly right. What else? Let's stay on the tire for a second. Camel's hair, like that was comfortable. Like John was looking in the reflection of the puddle being like, that's it. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> what else? What else? Passionate, what else? What are the attributes of John? Forerunner, Forerunner. that's the word, right? That's, the, that, that, that's, that's who he was. Imagine with me the expression that must have been on the face of Elizabeth when her stomach turned in such manner she had never felt before. She had felt the baby move, but she had never felt him kick, nor in this way she had never felt him leap before. She had felt him move. She had felt his foot as it stretches across. And no doubt she had called her husband and she had said, watch. And maybe some of the kinsfolk had even watched as that foot, as we have. The, I've experienced this firsthand with my wife and watching that baby and the baby's foot would slide across that stomach and your eyes get real big as a new father-to-be. And you make those jokes with your friends like, I think he's going to be a punter or he's going to be a soccer player. You know, he's kicking all all the time and all these little jokes, but she had never felt the baby do what she did the day that he leapt. Mary has shown up at the house and the baby, the Bible says, filled with the Holy Ghost in the moment of connection. The baby leapt in her womb. Can you, can you imagine the dynamics of the call upon John that in the womb, being in the presence of Christ moved not only him, but moved her. The missional responsibility of John. Consider this. In a world, in a world where he was going to be completely ostracized for what he'd do, he was going to look in the face of Pharisees, he was going to stand out there with his sweet little camel's hair on, still got locusts in between his teeth, and he's going to say things with wild honey still dripping off his head. Prepare you the way of the law. He's going to lift his voice without a microphone. People are going to look at him, eyes half cocked. What did he say? Make his path straight. 
And while some were going to call him fanaticals, others were going to go to him and they were going to start being surrounded, surrounding him, going to be drawn to him. He was a powerful preacher. And you said the word, and it's the reason he was the forerunner of Christ. Hear me and hear me very clearly. From John till now, our purpose as preachers has always been to direct to another, never to build a stage for ourselves. Consider the harsh reality of that with John. He is not only a preacher, he is a powerful preacher. He is a conviction preacher. What do you think of when I say conviction preacher? Huh? Making a choice? Okay, let's, let's do some names. This may be dangerous. Give me some names. I say conviction preacher. There's probably some that come to mind. Go ahead. Evangeline Rodenbush. Victor Jackson. Yep, that Thursday at Youth Congress that messed a bunch of us up. Some of you are here because of that. Mark Brown, conviction preacher. I'd, I'd agree with that. Huh? Josh Herring. Just got a phone with him before I walked in. Who else? Josh Carter. Yeah, well, sometimes. <laughs> You get an A. <laughs> no. Come on. Who else? Okay. Yeah, Brother Kilman. I'd say so. I'd say so. How about your generation, Brother Kilman? Who else? Brother Herbst? What about you guys? Who else? J.T. Pugh. How about preachers that aren't afraid to look across the pulpit and call sin, sin? When the entirety of the crowd wanted to say, John, shut up. He's saying, there cometh one after me who is mightier than I. The latchet of whose shoes. I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. If you are so fanatical about who's coming after you, then why are you giving such great zeal and passion? Because my mission was never about me. I've only ever been afforded the opportunity to draw breath so that you might know him. Oh, what a weighty reality when you consider that being called to preach has been mean has meant being called to a life that completely denies any desire you have at all for your own will. It's not about you. It is not about your ability. It is not about your Pentecostal proficiency. You take every hermeneutic, homiletic, apologetic, take every course you want to. But at the end of the day, if it's about your agenda and not the agenda of Christ, then you might as well cash it in and do something else. We need preachers that must be heard. Preachers that must be heard are preachers that preach from the point of salvation and souls on the line. That's what every message is. Hear me clearly. We have no giveaway messages. The average individual that maybe listens to one message a week, if they're an adult and you can keep them 40 minutes at a time, 
Say you keep them 40 minutes at a time. Somebody want to do some math for me right now? Say you, get, say you get people to actually listen to you 40 minutes at a time. Don't take into account post-modernity. Don't take into account actual attention span. 40 minutes at a time, if you could get that at 52 weeks out of the year. Somebody do the math on that. What's 40 times 52? Now divide that by days, by 60. Start breaking that down, that 40 minutes times 52. Now you start breaking that down on attention span where most of you will go into teenagers. If you break it and dilute it all the way down, most of you will have the opportunity to speak to the class and preach to the class that you'll speak to about two full days out of the year. So what you say when you get the chance matters. Well, I don't know. We'll just wing it. Number one, you're not good enough to wing it. Okay? Your mission has to be bigger than you. If it is, then you'll make sure that you don't sleep through classes. Well, how many classes can I miss and still pass? If all you want is the piece of paper, that's fine. Um, I'll be real transparent right now. Early, early in full-time ministry, I'll, I got some great opportunities to preach some events, preach some camps, do some things. Uh, I remember the day, the only reason I got hired, Brother Kilman, the only reason I got hired, um, I was working a camp. Man, I was working those altars, crying over those kids. Pain. I, I'd be the last one in the altar, not because I was trying to be seen. I just, that was just all I knew. Just pray with kids. And... Uh, Youth president happened to see me, offered me a job, got to go on staff at a church. When I went on staff at that church, without a Christian school, I could not have gone on staff. Went on staff because a school could support it. And uh, first youth service. People see the, I told somebody about this earlier. People, people saw the 10 years down the road scenario and see this big massive youth group and want to look at the youth group. My first class, six kids. And I'll go in there and I found out something in those early years. I had to come to a harsh reality. Somewhere in those first few years, I really fell in love with preaching. Like really. Here's how it happened. A well-meaning elder pulled me up on a platform. I was weeping like a baby. And he grabbed me and he said, Bubba, fall in love with preaching. Those were his words in my ear. This one right here. So you know what I did? I fell in love with preaching. I mean, I consumed it. I listened to it. I listened to the greatest preachers, the greatest orators, the greatest pulpiteers. I pulled apart and broke apart their messages, their sessions, how they went after the text. I tried to shape them forward and backward. I tried to figure out when and where they would place those most effective pauses. I, I tried to catch when and how they would draw their breath and their words. and their. But the most humbling day, maybe in my ministry, was when I walked in my pastor's office and I sat down on the couch and I began to weep. I began to weep. And I said, I, I've repented to God, but I need to repent to you.
somewhere over the last few years, I fell more in love with preaching than people. And if you love the art of preaching more than you love the souls you're reaching for, you've missed it. John was powerful because he was not losing sight of what his responsibility was. Now, I'm going to talk to you openly. I, I, I love to talk to young adults anyway. I just get to talk to you tonight. I think the greatest preacher that ever stepped in sandal, uh, it was Christ. I think he was the great storyteller. I'm a narrative preacher. I like to expose the story. Uh, some of you were there on last Sunday night when I got the chance to talk. I preached about the Syrophoenician woman while I was preaching. And, and while I was preaching, I, I wasn't thinking about it, but I'm standing there and I'm, I'm seeing her hair wisping in the wind. I see some tears on that dirty face. She's out there. I see sand still gathered on her feet while she yells out towards Christ. I see this big vein on the side of her neck. And that's just coming out of my mouth while I'm preaching. And I told them what I will repeat to you. The reason that that, that came out of my mouth while I was preaching was because I had coffee with her that morning. We had been talking for a while. I had been interacting, now not in a mystical way, but pulling apart the text and trying to understand. Because listen, if I do not make her human, then I do not have to really know her story. And if I don't consider the historical context and the geographical context and really the eternal truths, then I don't have to take that story and make it applicable for today. But I believe that the Holy Writ is applicable for today. I don't believe he gave us any stories accidentally. But like an onion, most of them are layered enough that if we will peel it back, we can find the things that are... Here's what's amazing about Scripture. How many have found that you have heard it 20 times, but you will read it and you'll see something or feel something or understand something that's never been there before? I think Christ was the absolute master at being a storyteller. So I like to talk to young adults about this. Um, you just happen to be young adults that are preachers. And so I'm taking you down this road, okay? Like it or not, here's where we're going. Go with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, does it help you if I stand right in the same place? Oh, you're so kind. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. I love the first part of that. <laughs> I do not like the second part. How many love that whole led of the Spirit thing? Don't we all want that? I want to be one of those preachers. <laughs> Just led of the Spirit. Well, you will find the Spirit has a tendency to lead you into shaping scenarios. I wish it were not so, but empathy is typically developed by exposure. 
For you to truly be empathetic about someone that is broken means the Spirit will probably lead you to a place where you end up broken yourself. You will drink the cup of brokenness. So I'm going to take some principles from the life of Christ right here. And I want to help you as a preacher, as a young adult preacher. In this room, I will tell you, unequivocally, preaching starts with prayer. Okay? So that's foundation. That's before we jump into Matthew. Okay? And don't think you're qualified to be a preacher because you pray and pay your tithes. That's your reasonable service. Well, I've been faithful to church. You're just trying to follow Christ. That does not qualify you to be a preacher. About the only time you're going to feel qualified is when you stop trying to feel qualified. And you just fall in love with serving God. Okay? If it's still a checklist for you, you're not qualified. Amen. So here we go from the life of Christ because you want to be a preacher. You've got to be led of the Spirit. I know that sounds simple, but that's deeper than we give it credit. We've got to be Spirit-led. To be Spirit-led, Trace, here's what I know. You cannot be Spirit-led and earthly-minded. I don't care if everybody else in the dorm thinks it's okay. If the Spirit leads you otherwise, if the Spirit has convicted you, then you need to let the fruit of the Spirit be working in your life and the works of the flesh be denied. You've got to be Spirit-led. If we're going to be Holy Ghost, apostolic preachers, that means that we are going to be exemplifying and modeling Christ. We must be led of the Spirit. Now watch, when it is convenient and when it is inconvenient. What do you mean? Being Spirit-led means you will probably turn down a job at some point. I'm almost 100% convinced, Brother Herbst, that every preacher will come to a couple different crossroads. I'm almost convinced of it, that you will come to a financial crossroad. If you're going to be a preacher that's worth your salt, you're going to at some point come to a financial crossroad. I could take you to the spot in the living room where that happened for me. When they called me, I was on staff as a youth pastor, and I got called and given a job offer that would have tripled my salary to start. My words were, I've got to be able to sleep tonight knowing I'm in the will of God. I'm going to tell you another crossroads for you. It's going to be lust. Yep. It's going to be, it's going to be a good-looking girl or a good-looking dude. It is. I know a lot of guys out there that could probably preach circles around most of us, but they married... I almost talked too blunt. Um, you know who they married. And ladies with real call of God on their life, but because he was the first one that showed them a little affection. She was called to be a powerful missionary, powerful intercessor, but because he actually looked at her. And she had daddy issues, so. 
If you're really spirit-led, the Spirit will set up. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. If you're really led of the Spirit and you have your ear tuned to the Spirit, when you start to get engaged in relational value, that is, it is opposite of the call of God on your life. You will have the wisdom to resist. You need to understand from the example of Christ, easy, hard, has no bearing. It might be an easy path. It might be a tough path. It's not based on how other people define it. It's based on whether or not the Spirit is leading you there. Somebody in this room better hear me right now. For some of you, God is going to call you to go home. Okay? I've had conversations with some since I've been here. We have, we have got to do our best when God calls people to go home to not make them feel like it is lesser to go home. Otherwise, we are jockeying for position. Christ came and endured it all for the cross. How would you have felt if Christ's mission as a preacher was not always planning on going home? Got to be led of the Spirit. Nudge somebody and tell them you've got to be spiritual to be led of the Spirit. I just want to be led of the Spirit. I just want to be led of the Spirit. It would be easier if you didn't treat God like a bellhop. Some of you want to be powerful preachers. You want to preach $10,000 sermons and you don't have a $5 prayer life. Does that sound harsh? I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm trying to be just, just talk open with you. Okay? If you want to be a powerful preacher, you need to be a powerful prayer warrior. Don't go in a room and scream in a pillow, try to make your voice sound like you're a preacher. Okay? Don't, be, don't try to make your voice sound like somebody else's. Young ladies, don't take a back seat to anybody. If you're called to be a preacher, be a preacher. Be a woman. Be a preacher. Guys, don't compare your ability to be an orator with anybody else. Let the Spirit lead you. To be spiritual, you have to be spiritually minded. It's critical. If you walk on down through this, you'd read, the tempter came to him and said, If thou be the Son of God. Command these stones be made bread. He answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Right? Verse 5, the devil, he just takes him to that holy city, sets him on the pinnacle. He said, if thou be the Son of God, just always questioning, always questioning. And, and, and we know that Jesus responds, it, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. You read it down all the way through verse 10. Verse 10, after this third temptation, Jesus says, get thee hence, Satan, it is written. Okay? Three times, temptation Three times, his response is the same. The answer to temptation should always be your ability to drop your bucket in the well of the Word. Yeah. 
Need to, need to help you this. If you're going to follow the example, if we are going to follow the example of Christ and be effective preachers and effective teachers for the kingdom of God, then we're going to have to have word to support what we say. If you're truly spiritual, you will be able to take a stance on the word. Okay? The worst part about smartphones is they have made us, they have made us lazy. We have the ability to last minute Google all of our texts. <laughs> hey, hey, Siri. Where's, where's that scripture that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord? And I'm not making fun. I understand the advancement of technology, but I also think there's still something to be said about memorizing text. What is your answer? What is your answer to temptation? Because everyone in this room is here because you have overcome temptation at some level. And also everyone in here, if I would wave my hand back across, everyone in here has probably endured an altar where you could not get out of your mind the time you gave in. And yet I have found it to be absolutely true that if I invoke the Word of God, when confronted with temptation, I am always able to resist. It just depends on whether the Word is what comes out of you or whether the Word is just your textbook when you need something to say. And when we use the Bible or the Word of God to impress people instead of defend truth, man... It was his answer to temptation. It is written. Which leads me to a place of thinking, you know, Jesus could have just written some new stuff. He could have just said, take a hike the first time. I want him to. I want him to give the devil the Ginsu chop. On the first temptation, I want to give him what? <laughs> right? How cool would that have read? <laughs> and Jesus tightly squeezed his hand together and reared back with a ninja kick. No, it wasn't about that. Because the power was not in his ability. The power was in the word. And he was the Word made flesh. So notice that. When the Word spoke the Word, when you're filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, when He comes inside of you, it's one thing for you to quote Scripture or to stand on the authority of truth without the Holy Ghost. But once you are filled with Him... And then you preach text. That's why you don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. You don't have to be the most proficient or prolific researcher in the room. You don't have to know the Greek and the Hebrew, although it's probably good if you go by Blue Letter Bible and take a glance. But just get up and preach Jesus. 
Don't preach to impress. Preach to save. And your fallback should always be the Word of God. It is written. You need to know this. We're not having new debates. What do you think about this doctrine? What do you think about this philosophy? I think old pig, new suit. What do you think, though, Pastor Carson, about, about all this depression? What do you think about this? I think it's the same thing I see in a guy that's at the country of the Gadarenes. He's up in the tombs. He's cutting himself. Long before we ever started talking about cuttings, that guy was full with depression. I guarantee you, the demons in him were the demons of depression. It's why he was cutting himself to try to get an endorphin release out of his body. Depression isn't new. What was the answer? What was the answer there? Jesus stepped on, Jesus stepped on the scene. The Word made flesh. The answer's always been introduce the crowd to Christ. Not the way you can shape a point. Introduce them to the Word. And whether you want to identify with it or not, as a preacher, most of the time you're preaching to the devil. For some of you, you have already found out and you will find out you're preaching to the devil that wants to try to haunt you when you're done. My best friend, Pastor Bounds, he calls them APDs, after preaching devils. (laughs) (laughs) I went and told, well, yeah, I'll already say it. I went and told her the other day when she was done what what it means, didn't I? I came and talked to you about how you feel yourself after you preach, what I do when I'm done preaching. Because preaching ought to be like delivery. If you ever preach and feel like you haven't delivered something, you should have never preached in the first place. You ought to feel like you have delivered what thus saith the Lord, what He gave you. And when you're done, you have to praise that void back full. One of the easiest times to fall into sin is when you've tried to be spiritual. You take that and you empty that void. You prep, you prepare, you get ready for a chapel, you get ready for a a revival, you get ready for a conference, and you spend every day almost thinking about it. It is like postpartum for a female that has a child and then goes into delivery uh, and has that baby and they love that baby, but there is is a genuine chemical change and there is a depression that can come on on that woman that no longer feels that baby in her womb. When you have delivered that message, you have to know to praise the womb back full. I hope I'm helping somebody. I, uh, let's go forward for the sake of time. What you have heard is just a portion of this talk, the first 35 minutes or so. After this, there was an additional portion as well as question and answer. We'll do our very best to bring that to you in the near future. Last year at Preview Weekend, we had an amazing crowd. In fact, we had a waiting list and had to turn people away. So this year we are announcing a Fall Preview Weekend happening November 3rd. If you'd like to be a part of that weekend, stay tuned. Sign-up information will be coming soon. Good news to all the musicians and worship leaders who use multi-tracks. The Welcome Home album multi-tracks are now available on the IBC store. That was formerly voicevision.com. It is now the IBC store accessible at store.indianabible.college. There are multi-tracks, chord charts from Welcome Home as well as previous albums. Check it all out at the IBC store.